Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Got a good episode for you this week. We're going to do a deep dive into the Big East Tournament. We have a Big East special coming up. I will be talking to Vin Parisi, who works for Fox Sports. It's called Big East Games all season long. We will break down the tournament, the Big East squads, talk about how many will make the NCAA Tournament. Also, we'll do some deeper dives into St. John's and Seton Hall. For Seton Hall, I'll be joined by Chris Russo, not the Mad Dog, a undergrad student who works on the Seton Hall student radio broadcast. Talk to him about what he's seen out of the Pirates this year. But we'll get it all started with the opening tip with good friend of mine, Troy Moriel, the host of the Seeing Red podcast, for a deep dive into the St. John's Red Storm right after this call. Well, Mike Anderson worried his team needed to learn how to finish. Well, you talk about finish. The game's not over. 519 left, but they're on their way to finishing with a flourish. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast. You guys heard that call from Brian Custer calling one of the many three-pointers in St. John's upset win over Creighton on Sunday the 1st. Joining me today, the host of the Seeing Red podcast, a St. John's alone, probably one of the biggest St. John supporters out there, Troy Moriello. Troy, welcome. How are you? I'm not bad, Mike. Thank you for having me on. I'm doing a little bit better after that game yesterday, so feeling good. Yeah, a little inside podcast. And we're recording, basically setting up for this after the St. John's big 20-point blowout of a Creighton at Carneseca on Sunday. I have to say, that might be one of the most shocking lines of the year, seeing how those two teams are playing going to that game. Yeah, absolutely. Creighton was, was on fire, and, and St. John's, you know, really – Worst shooting, uh, worst three-point shooting team in the Big East. They come out, they hit almost seventy percent of their threes. Uh, Creighton, one of the better shooting teams in the country, really can't make a three, and guess that's the recipe for a twenty-point win for the Red Storm. But yeah, absolutely came out of nowhere. Came out of nowhere. I will say, Carnesecca was rocking. Yeah, that was. Uh, I hope you know that they start playing some more Big East games at Carnesecca. That was the first uh, top ten win that they've had there since nineteen seventy-five. I would like to start playing some more games there. You know, not. Maybe not the you know uh, Villanovas and Seton Hall and Georgetowns, but Creighton especially, Marquette, Xavier, all those type of Big East teams. It'd be nice to play more games at Carnesecca Arena because it gets very very loud. Yeah, because I noticed this. I know the Garden has the prestige factor of like, oh, like we're playing at the Mecca, like it appeals to like recruits and whatnot. But like the atmosphere there is not the same as it is at Carnesecca. No, absolutely not. It's it's almost a neutral site game. You know, I've I've been at almost every home game this season in Big East play. Uh, games against Seton Hall, games against Villanova, they're basically neutral site games because all those teams fans come in and invade the building. And yes, you're getting, you know, 16,000, 17,000 people in the building, but when half of them are the, are the opposing team's fans, how much of a home court advantage does that really give you? And how alluring is that to recruits, you know, seeing that and knowing that a lot of these fans aren't really yours, whereas at Carnesecca Arena, you're only getting maybe 6,000 people, but it's a sellout crowd and it's, it's all St. John's fans. So, that's the difference there. Like you said, the, the, the atmosphere is totally different. 
Yeah, it looks much more intimidating. You see just a sea of red behind you as opposed to like all the mix of like the red with the blue or the white or whatever team you're playing. Exactly, and the crowd is, is right on top of you. The, you know, it's, it just gets way louder in, in, in a Carnesecca than it does in the Garden, for sure. Yeah, it's not going to change, unfortunately, but we should talk a little bit about the team this year. I mean, that win against Creighton reminded me a lot of what happened in December when we had the big, we had the big win against West Virginia. They beat Arizona, so like, take me back to your mind at that point. After like the West Virginia win, like, how high were your expectations for the year? Yeah, so uh, I think actually I came on the last time I came on your show was right after they had beaten Arizona. So it was like late December um, or actually uh, early January. They were 11 and two in the non-conference. Had a huge win against Arizona, a huge win against West Virginia. Those two teams who ended up being really top 15 teams in the country this season. Uh, the expectations were, were higher. I would say they were raised a little bit. You know, we came into the season kind of thinking this was going to be a team that was going to be right around 500. You know, you know, somewhere in that 16 to 17 uh, win win you know area. And the expectations definitely got a little bit raised after after uh, those two wins. We saw what they were capable of, obviously. Um, but you know, the Big East is just a different animal, and we knew that going in. Uh, my goal was to get to seven wins in the Big East. They're not going to do that, obviously. But at the end of the day, they are going to kind of end up finishing really right where we thought in that 15, 16, right around 500 uh, record type thing. But, you know, the expectations were certainly raised. I thought there was a chance at an NCAA tournament bid if they continued playing well and if they got to that 7-8 win mark in the conference. Obviously, they didn't, they didn't do that. And now it's just hoping to get in the NIT. But, but overall, for the, the season, the expectations, I would say, have been met. Yeah, I would say so too. And it's just important. I talk about uh, St. John's with a good friend, with uh, our, our uh, mutual friends of our podcast, Zach Braziller, last week. And he basically pointed out, he said that, like, I asked him what went wrong in Big East play. He basically said, it's not St. John's, it's the league. The league is too much for them. Yeah. Do you agree with that assessment? Absolutely. Yeah. There's not, not one thing that you can point to that's gone wrong. I guess if you had to pick something, it would be they just didn't get the, the contributions that they hoped out of Mustafa Heron, a senior guard, and LJ Figueroa, a junior guard. Uh, two guys who were second team uh, preseason All Big East. Neither one of them have been, you know, as as good as we thought they would be. Herons out for the year with an ankle injury as well. If there was one thing that went wrong, it would be that. But but yeah, like you mentioned, you know, it's just the conference is so so tough, and this is a relatively young team. They've only got two seniors. One of them is Heron, who's not playing right now. Only have a few juniors. It's made up of a lot of freshmen and sophomores, and it's just a team that isn't able to close right now. Uh, if you look at their Big East record, they have 12 Big East losses right now. And I think about nine of them, they've been in the game, you know, late in the second half. They just haven't been able to close these games. And the conference is going to send seven teams to the NCAA tournament. So 70% of the league is going to go to the tournament. You know, those teams know how to close. Those teams are top 25 type teams. They're tournament type teams. And they know how to close. And St. John just hasn't learned that just yet. So nothing's really gone wrong. Like you mentioned, it's just they haven't been able to close out games. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely tough when you're going every night. You got, oh, Seton Hall's coming in. Oh, we got to go to Creighton. We have Marquette. It's like, there's like never like an easy, like, okay, we're going to go pummel like Northwestern or Nebraska, like you can get in the <laughs> Big Ten or like some of these bottom tier ICC teams. No, it's a, it's a completely different animal. Like you mentioned, yeah, that's why I think the Big East is, is the best conference in the nation this season, at least. The bottom of the Big East is St. John's, DePaul, and Georgetown, really. Those three teams could, could really beat anyone in the conference at any point. You know, you saw that with St. John's. St. John's the ninth-ranked team in the Big East right now in their standings, they not only beat Creighton, but they destroy Creighton. You don't see that in other conferences. You know, the ACC is having a down year, obviously. The SEC has its really bad teams. And like you mentioned, the Big Ten has teams like Northwestern, 
like Nebraska, who aren't doing so well this year. The, the Big East is just a different animal this season. Anyone could beat anyone. And the bottom of the league would be, you know, middle of the pack, I think, in a lot of other conferences this season as well. I mean, even a team like DePaul, who like never does anything. Like this year, there were points where you're sitting there like, wow, could DePaul make a tournament this year? Yeah, absolutely. Go- going into conference play, I-, I don't think it was crazy at all to think DePaul would be a conference team. They had the talent. Uh, they just kind of didn't deliver. And they kind of had the same issue as St. John's, just not being able to close games out. But yeah, even DePaul, uh, I think they only had one or two losses going into conference play as well. They were a team that people thought was going to be ranked heading into conference play. And you know now they end up being uh, last in the conference, but the talent is certainly there for them as well. Yeah, indeed. And obviously, this is the first year of the Mike Anderson era. Like, As somebody who's seen a lot more St. John's basketball than I have, how do you think Mike Anderson has been doing this year? Uh, I'm absolutely in love with the job that Mike Anderson has done. I, I can't say enough good things about him. I, I tend to be, I think, more of an optimistic fan with St. John's, maybe more optimistic than I should be given this program last uh, last two decades. But I think for the first time in a while, they have a coach who's really building a culture. You know, Mike Anderson is a college head coach. Uh, the last two guys, you know, Chris Mullen, obviously, was his first job. And Steve Lavin, you kind of wondered about uh, the effort. And sometimes that's not the case with Mike Anderson. And you've seen that this season. You know, Mike Anderson's team now is, is, is eight games under 500 in the Big East. They've been consistently under 500, consistently near the bottom of the conference this entire season long. Yet every single game they've come out and they've, they've competed with whoever they're playing. You know, you look even this Wednesday or last Wednesday, they played Villanova on the road. They were right there in that game with Villanova for about 35 minutes on the road. As I mentioned earlier, they've been blown out in very, very few games this season. Their effort has never been a question with this team. He's certainly gotten this team to buy into what he's preaching. And now you just see for the future, you know, what, what's he going to be able to build? If he, is he going to be able to get guys to stay, stay along? You know, LJ Figueroa, a guy that I mentioned before, is a junior. Is LJ going to uh, grad transfer somewhere? He can do that. He can go pro if he wants. Is he going to get guys to stick around? I don't know. That's kind of been an issue for St. John's recently. But in terms of what he's built this season – the, the results on the court have not been great, but he has certainly built that culture that we haven't seen at St. John's really since Luke Karnasek was here. So it's, it's been a long, long time since they've had that type of culture that I think Mike Anderson has, has at least laid the foundation for this season. Yeah, he's been doing a lot of work building that foundation. And, I mean, I think, I, I don't get me wrong, I think obviously like this is not where you thought you would end up when you were 11-2 and in the non-conference. I think they're still set up very well the next couple of years as young players starting to develop a little bit. Exactly, yeah. And you look at guys on, on this St. John's team that Mike Anderson has developed that were getting really no playing time uh, last season under Chris Mullen. Josh Roberts, a, a big guy. Uh, Greg Williams, who went off for 21 points yesterday, a career high. Uh, and Marcellus Erlington, big guy. Marcellus Erlington was actually a football player uh, near my hometown. He, he, he comes in here. And those guys last year were really getting no playing time whatsoever under Chris Mullen as freshmen. And they, they looked like freshmen. They looked very, very raw, very, very very, very, uh, you know, lacking in, in talent and, and didn't really even look like Big East players, frankly. They come in this year under Mike Anderson, and those, all three of those guys have really turned into starting-level players in Williams, Roberts, and Erlington. That just kind of shows you the job that Mike Anderson has done. He's brought in the guy Julian Champagny, who was really not even looked at as a, as a potential recruit on anyone's radar. Uh, Champagny was going to go to junior college, actually, and play for a season. He comes to St. John's. He's going to end up being on the All-Big East freshman team this season, and I think should be in the, in the competition for Big East uh, Rookie of the Year as well. So that just kind of shows you the type of talent that Mike Anderson has been able to develop in really not even in a year on a job. Yeah, that's true. It's definitely great stuff. And, I mean, like, obviously you're tapped in. Give me who is the St. John's MVP this season? 
Uh, it's tough to say. You know, the, their their most talented player has definitely been Figueroa, been LJ Figueroa. Um, but even he, I, I mentioned at the front, you know, he has definitely had his struggles. I think all St. John's fans say that this season has been a, a relative disappointment for him, uh, given how his first season in Queens went last year. Um, so Figueroa is their most talented player. I, I still think Figueroa down the stretch is the guy that you want taking those shots. But he's definitely had a roller coaster season. I'd put him up there. I'd put guys like I mentioned. Uh, Marcellus Erlington's really come out of nowhere for them. He's become really a scoring presence for them as well. Uh, Rasheem Dunn, who I haven't touched on, has been really an electrifying point guard for them. He can get to the basket. He's really been their only guy this season who can consistently get to the basket. Uh, only problem is his decision-making when he gets there isn't really fantastic. But, but no, overall, I would, I would probably say it's Figueroa just because he's their most talented guy. But uh, it hasn't been you know one single player for them like we've seen in the past with, with Shimori Pons, obviously. It, it hasn't really been that way this season. Yeah, it has been that way this year. And as of recording right now, the Braxnathons, they are locked in the 8-9 game, probably against Georgetown. So mm-hmm. they have a, I think they got a good shot to win that first game. What do you think their chances are to like, make a little noise in the Big East tournament? Yeah, well, you know, like we've been saying, um, they, you know, anyone could really beat anyone in the Big East. I, I have never been more excited for a Big East tournament than I have this year. I, I really think you have seven or eight teams that could win this thing this season, and I don't think St. John's could win it, but uh, they, they definitely have their shot against Georgetown. You know, their first time that they played Georgetown was back in uh, early January. They got run out of the gym on the road. That was really one of the few games that they were not really competitive in. But then, uh, you know, on Super Bowl Sunday, they played Georgetown. They they had a 17-point second-half lead that they couldn't hang on to in that game. So they could definitely compete with the Hoyas, and then if they win that game, who knows, they might get Seton Hall in the in the uh, second round. Uh, in the number one seed, if Seton Hall wins on Wednesday against Villanova, we'll see. Uh, they've competed with Seton Hall. You know, they had a 13-point halftime lead against Seton Hall about a month ago in a game that they couldn't hang on to as well. We just saw them beat Creighton. They've competed with Villanova this season. So, you know, they I think they can compete with anyone. Can they beat, you know, three three of those teams in a row? Probably not. But I think that there's a chance they can win maybe two or two games at, at the most, I would say, and make it to Friday night. That would, that would be the goal for me. All right. Last one for me. Just a gut. Based on, like, right now, who do you think is going to win the Big East tournament? Right now, I would I would probably pick Seton Hall still. I think they've been the most consistent team really all season long in the conference. Um, you know, they had a little bit of a stretch where they were struggling a little bit, and then they get right back on track now. They've won a few more games in a row. So they've been the most consistent team, and they, they obviously have a lot of veterans on that team. Miles Powell, who I think is probably going to win the conference player of the year. He's in the, in the discussion at least, uh, Romaro Gill, Quincy McKnight, they got a lot of veteran leadership. Um, Sandro Mamu Kalashvili is another guy who's really stepped up for them and who was battling a wrist injury earlier in the season. He's kind of now coming to form. Uh, they got a lot of talent, Seton Hall. They got a lot of veteran talent as well, which really, really matters this time of year. And they've just been the most consistent team. I think Creighton is a team that could win it, but as you saw yesterday, they are very reliant on hitting the three-pointer, and they went, I think, four of 24 yesterday from three-point range. So they can have a game like that when you're that reliant on a three. Villanova is always going to be in the discussion as well. But if I, if I had to pick a team right now, it would probably be Seton Hall. Yeah, I, I'm trying to lean that way as well. Troy, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how do people follow you on social media and keep up with the Seeing Red podcast? Absolutely. So you can you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Troy Moriello. That last name is M-A-U-R-I-E-L-L-O. Uh, I post every podcast there. We do one show every week, usually, usually on – uh, Wednesday after their, their midweek game, so we do one a week. 
I do Periscopes as well after their weekend games. So you can check me out on there. Uh, you can find the podcast on Apple Podcast and on SoundCloud for the non-Apple users. Just search the Seeing Red Podcast. It will come up there. And, uh, yeah, you can check me out there. We're going to keep doing shows. We, we only have a few weeks left of the regular season and the, of, of the uh, conference tournament, but then we do shows in the off season as well. You know, we try to have uh, different types of guests on, you know, notable alumni, things like that. So, yeah, uh, check it out if you haven't already. If you're a St. John's fan, I'll toot my own horn. I think it's, I think it's a must-listen for any St. John's fan. So, uh, yeah, definitely check it out. I would concur. Troy, thanks all the time. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Mike. Thanks for having me on. All right, that was Troy Morial talking some St. John's, a little Big East. We're going to dive, we'll go dive deeper into the Big East tournament next with Vin Parisi, who's a calling Big East games all year for Fox Sports, right after this. Zigorowski, as well as Alexander on the court. And this is their matchup now. Mahoney, a three. Onions. And they were confused in what they were doing, and you're right. With the courage to take that shot, Coach. How about that? All right, we are back here on the Just and the Suffering podcast, talking Big East hoops. Joining me today to do that is a guy who covers the Big East for Fox Sports, also does some work at SNY, the great Vin Parisi is on the podcast. Vin, welcome. How are you? Mike, thanks so much for having me on. Looking forward to a great time of the year when March Madness is right around the corner. Yeah, it's a great time of the year. A little bit of an inside podcasting story. People may not know this, but you are actually the reason this podcast exists. <laughs> I know. You know what? Uh, it was an honor to have you uh, in the classroom, um, but even more proud to see that uh, you've built this into a podcast that's going to go from, you know, that one first podcast that you did for the class and double digits. Now uh, you're on to your uh, triple digits of uh, podcasts. So uh, congratulations to you and, you know, pretty cool to see. And with that in mind, uh, we go on to the Big East, which is why Vin is here today. So I want to start first on general. Like, it's been a very parity-filled season of college basketball. What do you think about all the parity this year? You know, it, it, it's been an interesting year. Um, you know, I, I, the, the critics, Mike, the first two months of the season, they tended to, you know, talk a lot more about well, college basketball is down this year. It's a down year. It's a down year. And, you know, that that was an interesting take because, listen, parity is a word that gets thrown around a lot in the world of college basketball, whether you're talking regular season conference play or whether you're talking the NCAA tournament. Uh, but this year, I really felt that parity rang true. Now, if you want to stay down in terms of, okay, we didn't have a Zion Williamson or a Barrett or a John Morant this year or, you know, uh, an Anthony Davis Kentucky team that just was unbeatable, okay, like I'll buy that. Yeah, this is this is not going to be the strongest lottery for the NBA draft uh, that we've seen in recent time. But if you love college basketball, if you're a college hoops junkie, if you love – uh, rankings and you know, I mean the top 25 and top 10 literally flipped over every other week this year and I truly believe whether you want to talk about the Big East tournament coming up at Madison Square Garden which I'll be covering this week or if you want to just talk about March Madness in general when the 68 teams are drawn it, it's such an evil even level playing field and, and the margin forever is so slim to the fact that uh, there's not much that's going to separate a three or a four seed from a 13 or a 14 seed this year. And, you know, let's be honest, that's, that, that's what makes college basketball such a great sport. 
It is. We are a week out from selection Sunday as of the recording of this podcast, but I just want to talk about the Big East tournament first, starting with Seton Hall, I think is the most interesting team in the field here, and they've shown, in my opinion, upside. I think they could actually contend for the championship this year. Do you agree with that? I do. And, you know, Seton Hall is an interesting study. Uh, You know, they obviously started out as the preseason number one this year in the Big East. Uh, They gained that national attention when Miles Powell went for 37 points, injured, and, you know, they lost by a basket to Michigan State, who was the preseason number one so early in the year. But then the way they were just so successful in conference play. But I'll tell you, Mike, what sold me on Seton Hall before conference play even began, besides Kevin Willard's coaching, is when they beat Maryland without Miles Powell and without Sandro Mamu Kelishvili, who are, you know, two of the top players within the league. And, you know, they check all the boxes. They have senior leadership, they're veterans, they shoot it from the outside, they have point guard play, they're tough defensively, and they have size on the inside. And they're, you know, they're one of the biggest teams in the country lengthwise. Um, you know, it's it, it's pretty surprising that they were in first place for the last two months, and somehow, uh, you know, the last week of the season, now they're the three seed and playing in the late session Thursday night at MSG, which is surprising. But you know what? Their last two losses of the season were the two top fifteen programs in Creighton and Villanova. I actually think Seton Hall and Miles Powell, Mike, are going to look better when they get out of Big East play. You know, I I think you you hit a gauntlet at a certain point in this conference in February to where everyone's playing each other a second time. Some of these kids have been playing against each other for three to four years. They know each other so well to where now when someone has only two days to get ready for a Miles Powell, you know, I, I think that Seton Hall is one of those teams that could look a lot, lot better when the big dance begins. Yeah, it doesn't make some sense. So I'll touch on one of the, the two teams you brought up. First, I'll go to Craig because they actually win the number one seed in the Big East tournament, which means it's stunning because they were picked seventh in the preseason poll. So, like, what do you think of Creighton's chances to make a run? Oh, great. Listen, Creighton is another team that has just as good a, a chance, and it's because they shoot the basketball at such a high level. I mean, you know, you could talk about point guard play. You could talk about size. You could talk about shot blocking, rebounding, all different factors. But the one thing we, we really see when teams advance, and especially go from the first weekend to the second weekend in March, is how do you shoot the three ball? And Creighton and McDermott has so many threats out there. And you're right. They were the, the preseason seventh in the coaches' poll. That's why I feel like Greg um, uh, Greg McDermott's going to be the Big East Coach of the Year, even though Jay Wright and, and Kevin Willard are worthy. Um, but to win the league outright when you're a pick seventh. Um, but they have so many tools, and they have size on the inside. Um, and they have Alexander on the perimeter. Uh, Zegarowski should have been a first-teamer. He wasn't. He was a second-teamer. Um, but, you know, and they have guys that have played together. And, and, and that's the key. I mean... You know, you look at the poll. They had so many quad one wins, and they won at Iowa. They beat Minnesota. They beat Texas Tech. And they, you know, they started off terrific in November and December, and then they came in 10th place in the Big East. Well, why? Because they haven't played together for several years. When you look at Seton Hall, when you look at Creighton, when you look at teams that, you know, are at the top of the league and, and advance in March, you know, they've been playing together for several years. 
Yeah, that's true. This is it's also kind of similar to the Villanova group too, which is I think is flown under the radar in the Big East this year. Everybody's talking about Seton Hall. Creighton kind of snuck in there late. What kind of upside do you think Villanova has, and what kind of shot do you give them in March? You know, Villanova is an interesting um, discussion because you know this might be Jay Wright's uh, best coaching job in the last five or six years, and that's crazy when you think about what they've accomplished, but. This was not your typical Villanova team to where Jay Wright usually starts like three seniors and two juniors. You know, Jay Wright was very young this year. And I remember uh, for Fox, I called Jay Wright's like second or third game of the season. I want to say it was like November 14th or 15th um, uh, down in Philly. And he was like, I just, you know, I, I still don't know. You know, I don't know how good we could be. I think we could be good. But, you know, he goes, we're clearly not you know, a top 10 team right now, you know, we we're going to have a lot of work to do. And cause that was their preseason rankings coming off of last year to fast forward three or four months and Jay keeping them a top 15 to 20 program, you know, these past two to three weeks uh, is really remarkable. And, you know, when you look at James Robinson Earl, who's the best, who is the best freshman in the, in the league, along with Gillespie, and the other veterans that he was able to plug in there. Uh, just, just a terrific job by Jay and Villanova. Um, you know, the, the thing that the thing that you got to keep an eye on when the when the NCAA tournament happens. Now, listen, they could easily win the Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden. But the thing is, when you're playing on neutral sites and neutral courts and arenas in, in March Madness, they're young. There's a lot of guys out there that don't have a lot of that big game experience in March Madness. They shoot a ton of threes, and their defense is inconsistent at times. So if they have a tough matchup, or if they have a night where they're not really shooting it well from downtown, you know that that's when you could get clipped early in the NCAA tournament. So Villanova is going to be an interesting one to follow. Yeah, I'll definitely keep an eye on them. Also keep an eye on Providence, who you actually saw on Saturday night when they just routed DePaul in a, in a massive blowout. They're the hottest team in the Big East right now in the tournament, and they were basically dead and buried about a month and a half ago. How stunning do you think this turnaround is for them? No doubt about it. I mean, seven out of their last nine, uh, definitely the hottest team in the league. Um, I, I want to say right before the Super Bowl, they were in eighth or ninth place in the league, and the fact that Ed Cooley has them going in fourth place you know, just behind Seton Hall, ahead of Butler, ahead of Villanova, uh, I mean, uh, ahead of Marquette. It's just remarkable. And once again, it goes back to the theme that we just talked about. He had the largest senior ceremony in the entire league. He was the oldest team in the league this year. He basically loses his entire starting five. And and the thing about them is, is that the transfer Pipkins from UMass, it took a little while. There were some bumps in the road. It actually took you know, several weeks, a couple of months to finally push the buttons with him. Um, but Alpha Diallo is playing like the preseason first team all Big East performer that he was slated to be. They got Pipkins, they have perimeter shooting. I'll tell you this, Mike, because I've talked to other Big East coaching staff. Nobody, nobody wants to play Providence at Madison Square Garden. They bring a good crowd, they travel well to New York, but Ed Cooley's team is big, they have size, they're long. On the inside, they're long on the perimeter. They're physical. They rebound. They defend the heck out of you. You know, if they're making shots on the perimeter, 
they could beat anybody. They could cut down the nets on Saturday night and win the whole thing. The caveat with them is is that their perimeter shooting can be inconsistent, and they could have really, really cold streaks offensively. But, you know, they're, they're definitely one of the surprise stories this year in the Big East. They are for sure. One another surprise kind of in the negative direction is just how Butler kind of fell off once they hit the league because they were red hot out of the league. They had some great wins. They took Baylor of the wire down in Waco, and then now they're sort of stumbling. They finished sixth place in the league in the regular season. Like, what happened to Butler once the Big East play started? You know, it's funny. I, you know, I think Butler is another one of those teams, um, like a Seton Hall that we said, that, you know, had stretches where they stubbed their toe. Um uh, where they could be better when they get into March, when they get into the NCAA tournament, uh, to where they get out of conference play, to where teams know them so well. Um, but I remember calling uh, one of their games on January 9th or 10th, and you know I thought they were very good. I thought they were solid. Um, but I didn't think that they were a top-10 program. Um, so, you know, as they navigated along the way, uh, I thought that there were times where Kamar Baldwin – uh, who's one of the best players in the league, obviously. I thought that his uh, secondary supporting cast uh, could have stepped up a little bit more. Uh, but as you saw last night, he put the team on his shoulders and he single-handedly beat Xavier at the end. So, you know, listen, one thing about Butler is is that they defend in the half court. And when you have that box checked going into every single game and you make it tough for the opponent, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Butler... Uh, you know, went around farther than they should uh, in the Big East tournament. Uh, I'm just not sold on them uh, getting out of the first weekend in terms of the big dance yet. Yeah, that makes some sense. There, there is one guy in the Big East I think could potentially wreck a game for his team. That's Marcus Howard from Marquette. And obviously, he's like one of the nation's leading scorers. Like, can he bring this team a little further along than maybe their town level would indicate? Yeah, you know, I, you know, what Marcus Howard's accomplished uh, in this league, is, as we know, uh, and offensively, and you know, and his shooting and and his offensive talent is is really really remarkable. Uh, but there's a there's another side of me that feels very bad for Marcus Howard because of you know all of those key losses and and big transfers that left Wojciechowski and Marquette last year. You know, Marcus Howard and Marquette, they planned on having a Seton Hall-type season to where Miles Powell, he was surrounded with Quincy McKnight and Big Sandro and Gill on the inside. You know, and then you had the Hauser boys just, you know, skip town last year and Marcus Howard and, and Wojciechowski, they, you know, they had a, you know, they had a scrap and claw. And, you know, the thing that scares me about Marquette, though, now, this is two years in a row to where they've had a really, really bad ending to the season. Uh, dropping six out of seven, seven out of eight, a bad swoon going from late February into early March. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's going to be interesting. I think Howard definitely is going to be a very, very tough cover um, when he gets out of Big East Conference play too. Um, but I think that they have to have the right matchup uh, if they're going to win an NCAA tournament game, you know, because of his size factor. Um, if they have a lot of length on him uh, and he's not really red hot from downtown, that could be a factor. You know, the thing about Marquette is, you know, Marcus Howard is that, you know, main factor. Now, how does the supporting cast wind up helping him? Yeah, that's definitely a big question. One team I'm very intrigued by in this tournament to see what they do is just 
I'm intrigued by St. John's because I think they have a good shot to get by Georgetown because Georgetown's so banged up. And then they would be playing at noon, uh, I think Thursday, against Creighton, who they just beat by 20 at Karnaseka two weeks ago. So that would be a lot of fun to see if that would happen. Yeah, you know, it's so, it's, it, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's so funny because there's so many different angles that you can look at this thing. I mean, they dominated Creighton at Karnaseka. They were red hot. But now here's that's the good news. The bad news, Mike, is I could really only think of two times this year to where they made double-digit three-pointers. And it was that game where they were red hot, and then it was the game I covered when they were in Chicago at DePaul. They made 13 three-pointers, which obviously we know didn't happen uh, for them this year. And it's interesting because I also called on radio with John Minkle from WFAN, their game when they played at Omaha this year. And Creighton really kicked them hard and, and beat them up because obviously we know how tough it is to win in Omaha. But listen, that is a factor. Going against St. John's on Thursday in the afternoon session at Madison Square Garden with the New York, Wall Street, St. John's faithful crowd there. I agree with you. I think that they get past Georgetown. And I think every coach in the league would agree that it's not easy to go against St. John's because of how hard Mike Anderson gets his guys to play defensively with that full-court pressure. I think that they're going to have to have some lucky shooting. Uh, they're going to have to make some shots from three-point land. They're going to have to have some guys step up and overachieve beyond their season averages. Uh, but now, listen, let's go back to earlier in the season. They beat Bob Huggins and West Virginia's team very early in non-conference play. Where? At Madison Square Garden. So, listen, anything could happen uh, at this point. And, you know, the way Big East Conference play has gone this year uh, wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, for sure. My last question is a two-pronged one. like, who do you think is going to end up winning this tournament, and how many teams do you think the Big East will get into the dance uh, on Selection Sunday? Yeah. You know what's funny is, because of Villanova's big road win to cap it at Georgetown, and then obviously all the talk with Creighton, you know, Creighton and Villanova is the one and the two is going to get all the pub the next couple of days from a, from a broad sense and conference perspective. And I'm, I'm really, I'm really, really, really sold on Seton Hall. I, I think that you better not stop paying attention and people better not stop talking about Miles Powell and the Pirates. They literally check all the boxes for postseason March success. They have senior leadership. They're a senior-leading group. They defend. They rebound. They have three-point shooting. They have the intangibles, and they've been on the big-time stage before. Um, the fact that we're set up potentially now with them being the three-seed for a Villanova Seton Hall a semifinal matchup Friday night I think is stellar. Um, you know, my pick three months ago to win the Big East tournament was Seton Hall. So I, even though they're three seed, I can't change with that now. So I'm going to go with the Pirates to win it all. And I truly believe that 70% uh, of this league is going to get into the NCAA tournament. Um, so, you know, when, when you look at where this league has been and, in you know, whether you want to talk 17, 16, when, when you're able to say, that 70% of your league got into the NCAA tournament. And listen, you know, for the three teams that don't make it, you know, DePaul returns everybody next year. Mike Anderson's in year one of a rebuilding situation at St. John's. And Patrick Ewing had to deal with a lot of adversity and, and personnel issues this year. 
But I don't care if you're the ACC or, or what what conference. To say that 70% of your league is going into the big dance, you know, that proves to you that this year, Big East basketball, um, I think if, you know, once you get past the Big Ten, was the best basketball league in the country. I would certainly agree with that. It'll be fun to watch the action down in Madison Square Garden this week. Vin, thanks for taking all the time to talk about the Big East tournament. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Mike, thanks to, thanks so much, and, and really, truly keep up the great work on your end. Yeah, I, I definitely will. Before I let you go, you want people to know how to follow you on social media and, and some of the other stuff you're up to? Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially for the next month during the Big East tournament and March Madness, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be covering – uh, the locals here in the metropolitan area, when you want to say Seton Hall, St. John's, Rutgers, um, and conference play, uh, conference tournament play, uh, I'll be on SNY uh, throughout the night, throughout the weeks uh, for Geico Sports Night. I'll be making radio appearances on WFAN and other local affiliates, and CBS Sports Radio, national affiliates as well. And to get other updates, the best is on Twitter. Uh, at Vin Parisi, V-I-N-P-A-R-I-S-E. All right, there you have it, Vin. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Mike. Pow! They throw it up the mama! All right, we are back with this week's Big East Tournament special wrapping up. Let's just heard the call from Brian Custer there of the Sandro Mamokalashvili buzzer beater to, to help win a game for Seton Hall. Joining me today is a student for Seton Hall who does Seton Hall student radio broadcasts to them, uh, Christopher Russo. Chris, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, just, just to get it out of the way, how many people constantly ask you if you're related to the Mad Dog? Uh, that is a fair point. I, it's it's probably a little more tame than you might imagine. A little a little less uh, frequent than you might imagine because I don't. I feel like I don't need enough real sports nuts. You've also got to be kind of local, I think, to to realize that. But yeah, decent amount. I have met him before, and uh, yeah, good guy. But plus, my DJ name is uh, well, I don't really do it as much, but my DJ name was Mad Dog, and that was kind of my nickname too. So fair point, but no relation. Did Mad Dog get a kick out of the fact that you two have the same name? Yeah, he liked. Yeah, he liked it. He thought it was pretty cool. I, uh, I, I, again, I only met him once, but yeah, I think he liked it. Yeah, it definitely seems like he'd be a guy who would enjoy that. But before we dive into Seton Hall, tell a little bit how you got involved with calling the games for the uh, school. Uh, well, uh, WSOU is unbelievable organization. Um, I'm, I'm just going to plug them a little bit. They've been nominated so many times for. Uh, they've actually they were nominated this year. I was fortunate enough to go to Dallas to the NAB radio show. Uh, where they were nominated for the Marconi Award for the best uh, college radio station in the country. Uh, they won it a couple of years ago. I think it was right before I came in my freshman year. So I, I got involved. It took me about a year before I got involved with the sports staff, even though that's, that's about what I'm most passionate. Uh, but I've been very fortunate. I've been able to call games uh, all like halfway across the country, and I've been – very fortunate. As a matter of fact, I'm doing, uh, as we're recording this, I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm doing the, the Villanova game tonight. Yeah, that game tonight we're talking about, that's the, Seton Hall's a chance to clinch its first Big East title since 93. How big a deal is it that they might get this regular season Big East title? It is absolutely huge. I mean, for one thing, 
it will it would make a big difference in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but you know what? There was there has not been a team like this. I'm not sure this is the most talented team in my four years at Seton Hall. Uh, that might go to the team two years ago, the team that almost beat you know, Kansas in the second round with Angel Delgado uh, going, I think, 20 and 20, something to that extent. But this is a program that, you know, while the school is only about 5,000 people, there is a a great fan base, a great, uh, a great uh, alumni uh, program. That you'll that you'll find it not just from the station, but from WSOU in particular. And uh, you know what? It, it's been a reign of tyranny for for Villanova probably since the conference realigned in 2013. You know, it goes back to 2016 where Seton Hall won the Big East tournament. But the thing is, they haven't won the regular season crown since 1993, which is absolutely insane because. You know, Big East, a lot of great programs. Villanova's got you know three national titles. You've got St. John's was a big team for a long time. Georgetown's got a national title. When UConn was here, they were unbelievable, and then they're going to come back next year. Uh, but Seton Hall is one of that one of the more underappreciated programs, not just in the Big East, but in the country. Uh, and they've got a great great fan base here. It's going to be absolutely insane if and when they win this uh, this. Biggie's title uh, this week, but th- this is honestly just the beginning. If, if you ask a few people, I, I would probably say, yeah, indeed. And I, they have, obviously, they have a star in Miles Powell. And he's been the leader of his team all year long. He's taking. I, like, I feel like he's taking a big leap this year compared to what he was a year ago. Yeah, well, I was fortunate enough that for WSOU, I went with a few colleagues of mine to Big East Media Day at Madison Square Garden for men's basketball. Well, for men's and women's basketball, but uh, the men's basketball portion, uh, Miles Powell was one of the representatives there. I, I want to say Lamaro Gill and Miles Kale were the other two. As a, actually, this was really going into last year, actually, that, that, that Miles Powell was the guy. Miles Powell knew last year at Big East Media Day, before his junior year, he owned up to responsibility. It was. He owned up and said, this is my team. He was very adamant about that. He understood the responsibility, but not in a cocky way or anything like that. He knew that, that he was going to be the leader of this team both on and off the court. And that was especially big when you had the core four of Angel Delgado, Ishmael Sonogo, uh, Kadeem Carrington, and Desi Rodriguez all leaving the program, all graduating. Miles Powell really took over this team. He's become just so mature. He, he's incredibly mature, both on and off the floor. He's a very nice guy, very smart, and he's he's learned. Uh, honestly, I'm not even sure it's what he's done on the court. His season last year might have even been a little better than it was this year. I mean, that's all. I'm also saying that because you know Marcus Howard is having such an unbelievable year. But the one thing I can say about him that he's gotten better at doing on the court is that he's such a better teammate. I remember I saw on his interview with uh, Scott Van Pelt, he said, I think the best team, I think the best thing that might have happened to us this year was league neck concussion. And he was being honest about that because this team learned how to play without him. Everybody said Powell carried this team. And then they went on and they won two games. And, and one of them was against number seven, Maryland. And then not only was that without Powell, that was without Mama Kalish really. And that uh, total was probably their most impressive win of the year, considering the circumstances. 
Powell has become a better teammate, just a better guy, and he is absolutely the face of this program. I would agree with that. Touch on the other guy you brought up there, Sandra Mamokilashvili, who may not get as much national hype as Powell does, but I feel like he's the more challenging matchup player to deal with. Can you talk a little bit about Sandro Mamokilashvili's skill set, like how tough it is for teams to deal with him? Yeah, the, the funny thing about him is, you know, on a lot of teams, for example, Villanova's not a, a big team tonight. I, I averaged it out. I, I checked it out. They're about 6'3", 210 on average, and that's including a couple of guys who are just redshirting. You know, Eric Dixon's a big guy at 6'8". But Sandro Amatash really is a guy who, on some teams, could be considered the big man, could be considered the guy in the middle. But, you know, Seton Hall is so fortunate to have uh, recruited Romaro Gill and Ike uh, Obiagu that Mamakalish really is, is a talent, even for his height. Very good on both ends of the floor, very good defensively, uh, and, and he's good in the paint, good on the post. He's really solid, and he can shoot a little bit from the outside, which is something you don't see much from a guy that big, although you're going to see that again in the, in the Villanova game. Sadiq Bey is a big guy who's a fantastic three-point shooter for the Wildcats, but I digress here. I, I, I actually was... I, I was calling the, the game at Iowa State back in December where Seton Hall lost, and within about the first five minutes of the game, I think it was, that Sandro Mamakalish really broke his, I believe, yeah, it was his wrist, and the, the air went out of the air went out of the locker room for Seton Hall, went out of the program, and that's what led to that Maryland game eventually after Miles Powell, of course, had that concussion against Rutgers. But Mamakalish really is just a very smart player and a very complete player who is very underrated and he, he he is the number two guy on this team and he's gotten he's gotten he's gotten on as of late he's turned it up uh, so I I think he's a very underrated part of this team because if you take out Powell he's the guy who I'm not going to say he's going to he's the guy who's going to give you 20 25 a night and take over but he is definitely that number two scoring threat for the Pirates. Yeah, he is. And one other guy you brought up there, Romero Gill. I've been impressed with watching him play of late. I mean, his ability to block shots down low is just incredible. Yeah, Gill, that was another another uh, recruit that went kind of underrated, kind of went under the radar. Uh, from Jamaica, he played a year at junior college in Indiana. I, I read an article from The Athletic yesterday. My, my good friend and our sports manager, Dalton Allison, who's going to be the beat writer for tonight's game, uh, forwarded me an article from The Athletic about Romaro Gill. And it, it's really true. I mean, he's, he's very soft-spoken. He's just kind of a, a... He really embodies sort of that gentle giant, which you wouldn't expect from how good a shot blocker he is. He's, one of, he's probably a top-five shot blocker in the nation. I think last I saw, he was something like third in the... Or I could be thinking of the team... But some like third in the country, he and Obiagu, I mean, you can't have a big man if you're going to have two, if you're going to face those two guys on the floor at the same time. He's an unbelievable shot blocker. And the one thing that impresses me, impresses me the most is how much of an offensive production he's had. He's, he's averaging about seven a game this year. He would get maybe a bucket a game last year. And that doesn't take away from his from his defensive ability at all. He's an unbelievable shot blocker and a good defender. But I was really surprised at, at how well he was playing on the offensive end of the floor. And not to mention, for a big guy, and I can say the same thing of, of Obiago and even of Mama Kalashvili as well, he's a surprisingly good free-throw shooter. That, that is something I definitely did not expect. 
he is a, a guy who uh, is, is is very very dangerous and, and could be the real core of this team. Well, literally on the floor at least. Yeah, I check. I was double checking while you were in there. You're right. Ronald Gill is third in the nation in blocks, three point three six blocks per game. Big big part of this team. So, what do you think as a whole? I think is the biggest strength of this group. Wow, I th- I think they're a very deep team, but I think they're also you know you know you talk about how Powell is the guy, which is fair. Powell is uh, Powell is definitely the best player on the team, but they are incredibly balanced. I I, I truly believe o- outside of Powell. And the truth is, he a lot of the time he won't really turn it on until the second half anyway. But outside of Powell, you've got deep scoring threats and, and a very balanced team. Honestly, Quincy McKnight, who is definitely the team's best facilitator, and I think one of the more underrated facilitators in the conference, if, if not the country, and it could be a good contender of, for defensive player of the year uh, as well as Gil. McKnight took over as the scorer. McKnight took over as the scorer when Powell was out which I honestly did not expect. McKnight's a guy who was great at passing the ball, at running the offense, but he took over as the shooter. That might be the biggest testament as to how deep this team actually is. You look at a guy like Shavar Reynolds, who is a good, a great defender, and you know a lot of people said before he hit that big shot against St. John's last year, that controversial game, that you know he was sort of a, a charity case or something like that. He's a good ball player. He's a great defender. He can set up. You've got a guy like Anthony Nelson who really has not had a lot of time on the floor as of late. And then you look at Jared Roden. Jared Roden is another underrated player. There are a lot of, of key parts of this team. It's a very deep, very good team, and it, they're good on both ends of the floor. They can play really well offensively and defensively, which is, is what the program is, is really focused on for a long time. Yeah, I think you got to get some credit for that, too, to uh, head coach Kevin Willard, who I think has quietly become one of the more underrated coaches in the country because he's done a great job turning this program into a perennial contender in the Big East. It's it's absolutely true. This team, uh, this program was really big in uh, the, the 50s first off. Technically, technically they're actually a national champion because they won an NIT in 53 when the NIT was about even with the NCAA uh, when they had, I think it was, was it Honey Russell was their head coach. And then you go into Bill Raftery in the 70s. Uh, a lot of people don't realize Bill Raftery was a really good head coach for Seton Hall. And then, of course, T.J. Carlissimo was the guy who really brought him to the top in the late 80s, got this team all the way to the national championship game, and came within uh, uh, came really close to beating Michigan in the national championship game. They lost in overtime by one point. And Kevin Willard has really returned this team to dominance, and that's incredibly tough to do in a stacked Big East where, as of last night with DePaul beating Marquette, every team in the Big East, all 10 teams, are going to finish at least 500 or better overall. Uh, Overall, not just conference play. Uh, uh, Kevin Willard shines even in a a conference with Jay Wright, who is one of the best coaches in the country. He's undoubtedly the best coach in the history of uh, the Villanova program. He's won them two national championships. Uh, You've got a lot of good teams. You've got uh, Woj over at at Marquette. You have Xavier. You have a lot of really good programs. Willard has taken a great approach to recruiting, and you know, and obviously there was that suspension uh, earlier this year. But he's he's bounced off of that. He's done a fantastic job, and he is you know, he he's just done an incredible job for this Pirates program. Yeah, he has. And you mentioned that the last time they've been to the Final Four was 1989, with the PJ Carlissimo led the team there, where they lost to Michigan. There's a lot of talk about partying like it's 1989 this year down in uh, down in Piscataway. Do you? I'm not Piscataway. I'm sorry. 
down in New York. South Orange. Down in South Orange. I get I got my T's mixed up. I was still a Zach. You get to Rutgers, you get to New Brunswick, yeah. Yeah, I have Zach Braziller's conversation on the brain last week. We talk about Rutgers being unable to win away from the rack. That's a whole other conversation, but yeah, I was, I was kind of thinking that. But they're they're obviously dangerous. I mean, they took out, you know, obviously that was you know Powell got hurt early on. Mommy College really was out of that game, but and they and the rack is a tough place to play. But yeah, Rutgers is a scary team. They're, they should be really good. I I think they they, they could have a shot in the tournament. They're a sleeper team. They could, but Seton Hall clearly is a much better shot. Do you think the Pirates can get all the way to Atlanta this year? I think they can. You know, I, I really do not want to get ahead of myself, uh, but particularly because I could have the opportunity to, to, to call games down there. And, of course, you know, the, the fan base is, is, you know, they don't want to get ahead of themselves. Obviously, it's been a long time. This is a team that the last, pretty much since Kevin Willard took over, you mentioned the last five or six years, probably since they won the Big East tournament, or I think it was a little before that they might have gotten to the NCAA tournament. They've been a team that's perennially, perennially gotten to the NCAA tournament, a team that probably could have won a couple of Big East titles, really. Um, and that, that team that really should have gotten past Kansas, I, once again, two years ago, a team that really should have gotten past Kansas, but Desi Rodriguez was hurt, didn't score any points in that game, and they limited you know, Azimbuque from Kansas. I'm not sure he scored in that game. Uh, and, and they still lost by, by four. That was a team that looked destined. But, you know, you can't get ahead of yourself because it's been so long since Seton Hall won. It's been, I think, 16, if not 20 years since they reached the Sweet 16. It's been since 89 since they even reached the Elite Eight. But, yeah, I think that, yeah, I called that Michigan State game on uh, opening line at the Provincial Center. And, obviously, Michigan State's gone down a little to I think there were 24 last I saw, and then they came back and beat Penn State last night. But uh, I remember calling that game when Michigan State was number two in the country and thinking the, the Pirates came so close. If they, if they play these guys again, they get them in the tournament. They're going to get to them. They're, they'll beat these guys if they play them in the tournament again. And you know that's when you really knew that this was a team that was uh, destined to make some sort of run, at least make some noise at the NCAA tournament. So... I don't want to get ahead of myself and say they they will get to Atlanta, but I I definitely think they should be one of the front runners to get there. Yeah, I think a lot for them. Obviously, we're recording before the bracket even comes out, level on the Big East tournament. But if they can get put in the East region, where they basically go first two rounds in Albany, next two rounds will be at Madison Square Garden. That would give them a huge leg up. Well, you know, like it turns out, I was thinking about that actually. It turns out apparently, if they play at Albany. They can't. They can't play at the Garden. Albany is apparently only for. I I could be wrong here, but I thought I heard this yesterday that uh, you could play at Albany, but that's only for the the L.A. and Indianapolis regions. So if they play at the Garden, I was just talking about this with, with Dalton. Actually, the closest place they could actually play is Cleveland. Interesting. Yeah, but regardless, if you get to if you can you know play in Cleveland, which is close enough. Or, or you get to Albany in the first round, and if you can get to a one or a two seed by beating Nova and or Creighton and try to win the tournament, make a deep run, if not win the Big East tournament, they could be playing at the Garden, which is, I mean, Garden is a few miles away. It's a river away. So it's, uh, they, yeah, that, that could be a huge home court advantage. Yeah, we saw it from UConn a couple, I think back in like 2014, how important that is having the, having the games at the Garden. 
Yeah, I remember that. Well, I remember that UConn. I remember the 2011 UConn team where if you just get hot at the right time, that's that's all you have to do. Kemba Walker made uh, maybe maybe the big the best Big East tournament performance ever um, with that winning shot. I think against Pitt at the end. That team went off, and then the 14 team, the 14 team, I don't think anybody really thought was that good. I don't even think they were ranked when they got to the tournament. As a matter of fact, yeah, they and were. Shabazz, yeah. yeah, they were seven seed. Go ahead. They were seventh, yeah. And I, the only team that's gone lower than that and won the tournament is actually Villanova back in 85. They were an eight seed. And that was when there were, I'm pretty sure that was when there were only 32 teams. So the eight seed was the lowest seed. Yeah, impressive run indeed. Chris, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, do you let people know how to find you on social media? How you can find me on social media? Sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter at ChrisRusso98. It's R U S S O. Uh, and, um, yeah, that's uh, very, very appreciative. Thank you so much, Mike. It's lovely being on here. No problem. Hopefully, for your sake, they actually get to Atlanta. You get to go down there. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. It's a lovely city. All right. Thanks, Chris. All right. Have a good one. All right, and that will do it for this week's episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast. I want to thank my guest, Vin Parisi, for calling in to talk about the Big East Tournament, Troy Moriello for our deep dive into the St. John's Red Storm, and the guy you just heard, Christopher, not the Mad Dog Russo, discussing the Seton Hall Pirates. For more good stuff like this podcast, including my look at the latest on the New York Rangers, this, their status as they try and stay in the playoff race, though it's been hard with Chris Kreider getting hurt, and check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. If you want a video version, you can also... Check it out on YouTube. Just search for me on YouTube, Mike Phillips, the YouTube channel. I'm putting all these episodes up there. I'm putting the interviews up as well in separate videos. So if you just want to hear Vin Parisi's take on the Big East Tournament, that'll be a YouTube video. You can also leave some feedback and star as well. They're very helpful. They'll help make the podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. We'll look at a very simple hashtag this week. Hashtag Big East Hoops made the end of this week's podcast. It's the Big East Tournament Special. We're going to do hashtag Big East Hoops. Next week, we are going to have a March Madness Special. We're going to break down the brackets. We're going to have some Show Me the Money college basketball edition to break down the, the betting strides you can come up with for March Madness. Keeping an eye on NFL free agency as well. That's going to be a lot of fun. But until then, I'd have a better week than the Yankees have with the injuries. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.